Hi, welcome to the UMMC Bible Study Podcast, a podcast produced with students at UMMC. My name is Tim Chen, and I'm a former graduate of the UMC Medical School. Currently, I'm a family physician practicing in Mississippi. The goal of our podcast is to help our students and their families grow closer with the Lord and stronger in their faith and walk with God. With the rigors of school, it can be difficult to spend time with the Lord as well as fellowship with other believers. We hope that this podcast uplifts you during this challenging time and encourages you in your journey with God. Welcome back to today's podcast. Today we have Jonathan Marks again, our fantastic UMMC third year medical student. Man, Jonathan, how's everything been? Hey, Tim, everything's going good. Appreciate you having me here on the uh, podcast again and looking forward to our time together. Well, I'm glad you're here with me today. Today we are getting into Genesis chapter 11. Before we start, I do want to review how we got here. Again, for the full picture, I recommend listening to the previous podcasts. We have been following the two lines that began in Genesis chapter 2. The tree of life has produced a line of people that were dependent on God, walking with God, calling on God, cooperating with God, even helping God accomplish one of the greatest works in human history. However, the line issuing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has also continued on, almost side by side with the tree of life. Today, this is the line we want to get into. You know, in med school, first, you want to learn normal physiology, how things are supposed to be, right? What's normal? But then you want to learn pathology. What can go wrong? How did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong? But the goal of learning pathology is to see how to get back to normal physiology. Just wanted to throw a little med school nugget out there. All right, let's get into these verses. Today we will be in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Do you want to read these verses for us, Jonathan? Yeah, so we can go ahead and read these verses here. I've, uh, I've got them pulled up. So Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's the first part there. So the second part starts in verse 5, and I'll read kind of verse 5 and 6 as an intro to that, and then we'll look at what God does in verses 7 through 9. So it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Thanks for reading those verses. Let's get into this part a little. 
I think everyone is familiar with this story. I've read it many times growing up in Sunday school, or I've heard a few sermons about it. However, when I read this portion, I always ask myself, what was so bad about the Tower in Babel? I mean, right before the flood, the world was full of violence. This time, these guys just wanted to build a city, a tower toward heaven, make a name for themselves. I mean, to me, it seems pretty benign. However, this is one of the few times where you see God actually come down from heaven and judge a situation personally. The last time it happened, God came and judged Satan himself as a serpent in the garden. So that means it's got to be pretty serious. Jonathan, what exactly is happening here? Yes, in this passage here in chapter 11, we see the further falling away of man. We see that not only have they come from a legacy of Adam and Eve sinning and falling away, getting kicked out of the garden, Cain killing his brother, turning away from God, leaving, uh, all of mankind becoming violent and wicked and the thoughts of their hearts were wicked constantly and you know Noah being brought through the flood now we see a further falling away to where people know what God wants them to do they've already been given the command you know be fruitful multiply go out and fill the earth and they're doing the opposite of what God wants them to do they're not going out and filling the earth they're trying to stay together in one place They're trying to build a tower up to heaven and essentially try to take God's place. They see that they've been cut off from relationship with God and God is in heaven and they are on earth. And now they want to build a tower up to heaven. And essentially, the way I read it, it it sounds like they want to make their own salvation. They want to essentially build their way to heaven and it just shows the um, the total going away from obedience to God not only have they fallen not only have they sinned but now they're in outright rebellion it's just a, a very sad passage to read that people have come to this place in their their relationship with God where now they're going directly against what he says Wow, Jonathan, that makes so much sense. I want to summarize what you just said because I think it's so clear. The situation in Babel is not an isolated event. Rather, it's actually a continuation of what we saw in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve were in God's presence without any separation at all. They had a relationship with God without any hindrance. However, after the fall, Man no longer had that direct divine ruling with God. Therefore, instead of being ruled by God, you can say that man was now ruled by his conscience. However, you see that Cain even threw that away. He not only killed his brother, he lied straight to God's face. Man no longer could be ruled by his conscience. In fact, you could say that now man had to be ruled by other men. Human government had to come in, otherwise the world would have literally imploded, which I guess it did right before the flood. However, in Babel, something else was happening. You know, during Noah's time, man lived like there was no God or had no fear of God. 
But in this situation in Genesis 11, man knew God was there, but purposefully rebelled against God. You know, it's one thing to not know or not acknowledge God's existence. It's on a whole different level to know God exists and purposefully rebel against God, to even try and replace God in God's work and plan. This fall was so severe, that's why God himself had to come down and judge it personally. Man was not only atheist, they became anti-theist. You know, Jonathan, as we were reading, I thought this little phrase in verse 3 was interesting, and I guess it ties into the theme of rebelling against God. Let me read it again. This was concerning the material they were going to use for the tower. It says, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they use brick for stone. I think there's something significant here in this picture about using brick instead of stone and burning them thoroughly. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, it's neat that you mentioned that passage about the bricks, you know, in verse 3 where they say, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Uh, I'm not really sure what bitumen is, uh, but, you know, we're familiar with bricks. And apparently this is the first time that they were really used Most everything that we read in the Bible, and especially everything that God commands people to build, uh, altars and stuff like that, is made out of stone. So if we read into this a little bit, stone is a natural thing that God has made. It is his own building material that he gave us. Brick is a man-made building material. It's actually uh, when you take earth and you harden it through heating and taking all the moisture and all the essentially life out of it. And, and then you harden it so much that it then becomes like stone. So it's, it's really interesting to see kind of their man-made stone in their man-made building that they have done without the direction of God. So, you know, that's a, a, an interesting slant on this uh, when we start talking about bricks versus stone. I think that's got a, a neat message there. I completely agree, Jonathan. And I'll just tie this verse in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 to emphasize your point. Verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Like he said, everything that God does in the Bible is related to stone. Even here in 1 Peter, Christ is referred to as the living stone, and we are also referred to as living stones for God's purpose. But for Babel, they chose to use brick instead of stone. I think the only other time I can think of where brick is mentioned is when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt making bricks for Pharaoh. Brick is man-made, and in this portion, it was used for man's purpose. I would even apply this to our daily living. Sometimes we're at work or we're at school, and we're just doing our own things apart from God. You know, we feel so dry. I personally feel so, to use the word in this verse, burned, laboring so hard, but only for the world and not for God. You know, at these times, I really benefit from spending some time with the Lord or with other believers. It just really reorients me because I need to be reminded that, no, 
I'm not here laboring for the world, becoming a dry piece of brick for the world's purpose. Rather, I'm a living stone, and you're a living stone. Christ is the living stone, and we're here for God's purpose. I feel like I just got recalibrated talking to you today, Jonathan. You know, now that we know that pathology, we have seen the fall of man blossom into utter rebellion against God. How do we avoid getting stuck in the same condition? How do we get out from the situation in Babel? Because I feel like the world today is in that same situation. Or to use the same allegory, how do we not become a piece of burnt brick? So in contrast to all the negativity of this passage, I think it's really important to look at the fact that God is still working here. Even though people had a plan to disobey God, they had a plan to build a tower up to heaven, you know, to do things on their own. He had a way to continue his work. And through confusing their language, he was able to disperse the people into different groups, which ultimately made it possible for him to select Abraham and later the children of Israel through his line and ultimately have Jesus come through the Israelites. And so we see that God's plan was in action the whole time that he planned on having people groups so that he could have his chosen people who would bring forth the Messiah And then later he could invite in the Gentiles to salvation and reunite all people together. So it's really neat kind of seeing the beginning part of this story that we later will read in the New Testament is, you know, Jesus bringing all of his sheep into one fold. This is where the the flocks are scattered. This is where God separates out the different people groups, but it's all for his ultimate purpose. So I would say... And how do we get back to God's presence? Ultimately, it's follow God's plan. It's follow where he leads and what he asks us to do. It's living a life of obedience to God. High five, Jonathan. I don't think I could say it any better. I just want to echo those two points that you brought out. Number one, God is always working. I would even say that in these negative situations, you can really see God's wisdom. If you look at it as an isolated situation, you might wonder why God keeps losing. But looking at it from our point of view today, you just have to worship God for his wisdom and allowing all these things to happen. I think what we saw from the last podcast is that nothing can deter God from his work. And I like how you brought out God's presence. All the things we've read so far, walking with God, calling on God, finding grace in God's eyes, cooperating with God, it all has to do with God's presence. And when we're in God's presence, He energizes us, you and me, to obey and cooperate, to become clear on what He's doing today. This keeps us as a stone in God's plan and not a dried brick that's stuck in the world. Thanks again, Jonathan, for your time today. And thanks again to our listeners for listening to the podcast and sharing them with family and friends. We hope these messages not only open your eyes to God's word, but they also feed you throughout your day. Until next week, have a great one. Stop.
谢。